people are getting offended um, because they've had enough, right? I mean, the thing is that you can, if you try to keep a group down and you, and you, you try to prevent them from speaking and from having a voice, um, they're not going to go away. You know, it's not as though uh, because you're, you're keeping them out of the, because you're keeping them away from the microphone or something like that, that they're going to say, oh, well, I guess you're right. Um, we'll just go away. It's like, that's not going to happen. This is the Learn With Lels podcast. I'm Caitlin Jinko, also known as Lels. I believe that lifelong learning is so important. It allows us to keep improving ourselves and the world around us. And what better way to do that than to hear stories from people of all different walks of life. On the Learn With Lels podcast, I speak with people whom I think the world needs to hear from and with people whom I just think are interesting. We talk about their lives and the lessons they've been learning along the way. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to listen. I hope you enjoy and that you keep on learning. Hi, everybody, and thank you for listening to episode 41 of the Learn With Laws podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Tim Blackmore, my former professor from Western University who teaches in the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. In our conversation, Tim and I talked about issues in our society. Specifically, we touched a bit on gender and race issues. His media theory class and how it's impacted how I understand myself and my upbringing. Why, in air quotes, people are so offended nowadays. And how our systems are broken but are slowly changing to become more inclusive. When I took Tim's class about five years ago, I was like, what the hell is going on? Having had a science background, I never took the time to really think about issues like racism or sexism or homophobia. But as I said to Tim in this conversation, as a woman and as a minority in a predominantly white community, while I was often confused in his class, a lot of his teachings really resonated with me as well. I left Tim's class just questioning everything and looking at our world differently, and I feel like that curiosity is part of the reason why I started this podcast to better understand others and myself and our society, and to help people to do the same. I did a lot of listening in this episode, as I do since I have a lot to learn. This is Learn with Lels, after all. But I just want to say that if you listen to this and you're at all confused by what Tim talks about, that's totally okay. I was too when I was first introduced to these kinds of sociological conversations. But I think that if you're open to listening and learning, in time you'll start to get a better understanding of our world, the progress that's been made, the progress that's yet to come, and the work that'll be needed to make our world a better place. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I hope that you learn and enjoy. Uh, Tim Blackmore, Professor of Information Media Studies in the Faculty of Information Media Studies at the University of Western Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you were one of my journalism profs back That's at right. Western. That's right. Yeah, we, we did a media theory class together uh, more years ago now than we can remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the first MMJC, so That's right. 2016, which is wild. That was five years ago. It's a, yeah, it's a while, eh? Yeah, oh <laughs> the gosh. time does pass. Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, yeah, I wonder, like, what exactly would do you say that you taught? Because, like, back in our class, it wasn't like, okay, like, after Tim's class, here are the concrete things that I learned. Right. It was more right. just, like, after Tim's class, I feel like I'm just, like, 
looking at things differently yeah. and questioning things more. Yeah. I think that's really, I mean, that's, you know, that's a great outcome from, from, from my point of view, that's the best outcome where basically, although it's, it's on the face of it, it's media theory, right? So it's a, it's a fairly standard um, kind of media class that you, that is offered usually at the undergraduate level and the graduate level. And the thing about the course that you took is that it had to be pitched. This is the difficulty about a course like that is that it has to be pitched for people who have never taken theory before and for people who have taken it before. Mm -hmm. And somebody, it's very hard to keep everybody happy because people who have never bumped into this stuff before will say, what is this? Like, where, where does this come from? Are you just making this stuff up? And the people who have seen it before are like, we know this. You know, so it's always a, people are unhappy and they're impatient. Partly they're impatient because they want to know, like, why do they have to know this? And of course, they don't have to know it. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody has to know anything if they don't want to know it, um, I guess. Um, but the, what'll happen is that um, the focus tends to be in journalism programs on doing practical things. Um, that is, you know, how do I write a story? How do I edit that? How do I shoot it? What do I, you know, what does good audio look like? You know, how do I make a, how do I edit it, put a film together properly, you know, and so on. And so the theoretical stuff um, is opposed usually to the practical stuff. It's like, this is practical, this is theoretical. The idea with that course and in general with, a, with um, these programs that we run is to bring together the theoretical and the practical. And usually what happens is people pick up on the practical stuff right away, they get it, this is the stuff they want, they feel this will get them jobs. And the theoretical stuff is puzzling often or frustrating because it's slow and it's not, an, it's not initially, um, it's not gonna make a real difference in your life necessarily. For some people, it may have a sort of explosive epiphany you know they they suddenly see things differently but for, i think for most folks they're like what you know what is this and they mm -hmm. kind of wander away and they're baffled and, and kind of because they're baffled and confused or they may be frustrated they may be grumpy or cranky you know and they're like what you know i this is taking my time uh i have i have other things to do i have a job to get and so on as time goes by and you begin to observe the world around you, you know, once you, you get out into the work world and you, be, you get a job and, you know, you start to work and uh, you start to follow the problems that we're having in the day-to-day -day world. You're like, wait a second, um, what do I have in my toolkit that I can use to understand this cultural problem, this political problem, this economic problem? So it's a cultural problem, it may be race, class, gender, it's probably going to be all three, as we know, you know, they're, they're probably going to be intersected, then it's going to be an intersectional issue. Just about every, every problem is intersectional. Mm -hmm. There really is no problem that I, I can think of that is purely economic, purely gender-based. It's like, no, you know, they're all inflected by each other. So I think that what happens is that when you it's in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you take care of the <laughs> the stuff that you, you gotta you gotta have a place to live, and you gotta have. Okay, you're like, okay, I can put food on the table, and then you look around and you're like, yeah, I see trouble around me. Why is it happening? And then you go back to, and you sort of think about, well, what can, what tools can I use to think with? And you go back to sort of some of this theoretical stuff, and you're like, well, 
wait a second, maybe I do know some of this stuff. Maybe I did learn some of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it does now begin to make a bit more sense to me. So yeah. these are the kinds of courses that tend to be slow to load. Uh, if we're thinking about this in terms of a program, it can be slow to load and slow to execute. But it, when it begins to execute, you know, when it begins to run in your head, basically you're like, wait a second. Okay, this is making a bit more sense to me now. Because fundamentally, you're trying to answer big cultural issues. So when you see, you know, uh, when you see a racist misogynist, uh, white supremacist elected to president, you're like, what, what happened? Like, how did that happen? And mm -hmm. then you have to go back and use the other things that you know to figure that out because the technical stuff is like, well, that's the end of the pipeline and this is the beginning of the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like you fully just described like my experience with that class. Sure. <laughs> When I first like got into that class, I was like, I have no idea what is going on yeah. and what we're talking about, especially because I came from a science background. So right. we never right. had any conversations like this. It, and no. like all the practical things from the program, I was like, I get this makes sense. And then in this class, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I really fell like right in the middle of that class. Like I found our class to be really divided. And yeah. I wonder what you think about this, too, because um, it yeah. seemed like there were lots of people who had like really conservative views and then other people who had very progressive views. And right. it, there was just like such a clash. And I felt like I was kind of in the middle because I like yeah. the area that I grew up in, it was not <laughs> diverse at all, a right. very white community. So I understood the things that a lot of the conservative people in our class were saying. But then when we would talk about things like about race and gender, it's like, oh, well, this resonates with me because right. I fit into these populations. So I was sure. just like yeah. learning. Yeah, I think that's that's really well said. I mean, there there was and there usually is some kind of division uh, mm -hmm. in a class. The, the more a class is drawn, I mean, this is why it's so important as far as I'm concerned to have a class drawn from across the university, across the population if possible. And so it's diverse in a number of different ways, you know, not as only diverse in a gender race um, class sort of way, but it's also diverse in terms of disciplines. So that you get people from engineering and you get people from uh, software engineering and you also get people from medicine or in, their, in your case, you know, health sciences. Mm -hmm. um, and also from the arts. And there, these different, generally, what happens is that the people from the arts tend to be uh, familiar with the debates and they've figured out their positions vis-a-vis -vis the debates. They've heard them before. And so they're, they're ready to go. You know, they're, they're lined up with what they want to say. But a lot of people have, as you say, never, never really heard this stuff before. And most of us have, have probably grown up especially between, say, the ages of, I don't know, say 15 or something like that, and going to university, if we have gone to university, um, we are probably pretty well protected by the, the bubble that's around us. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the job, is to, is to get you, the job of the bubble is to, is to make you functional, you know, so you, you go out into the world, get a job, and uh, basically... Mm, be safe, I guess, is sort of like, and by safe, I mean, it doesn't mean you're happy, but it means you, you're not in danger, 
you know, that you, you will be able to have a family if you want. Yeah, so you're solving the sort of basic needs kinds of issues. But if it ha actually happens that um, there's a race, class, or gender issue that you need to deal with, it may be that that's been pushed aside. Mm -hmm. um, and you sort of accept that. You're like, well, I've been told not to work on that, or I've been told that this is not a problem. Or even if it's a problem for me, it's like, yeah, but what's like, why am I complaining? You know, shut up, basically. Yeah. Keep, you know, keep your head down and just go get along to go along. Mm -hmm. And a class like this says no to that and basically says, okay, no, we're going to discuss this and it's, people are going to be uncomfortable. So I think that the divide in the class is, is fairly standard if you've taken from uh, the, a representative, more representative group in the population. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have people who say, it's very interesting when you'll have people who will say, take a progressive stance on a race issue, but um, a, a fairly hard right wing stance on an economic issue. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they may, you may get somebody who is at the one at one of the same time saying, you know, we got to watch out for immigrants. But at the same time, they may be from a visible part of the population. You're like, well, what about your group? It's like, yeah, well, not us. You know? mm -hmm. And you're like, because we're good Canadians is like, yeah, okay, uh, but how do other people know that? It's like, yeah, but that's, no, 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 we don't include ourselves in that. So mm -hmm. it's this bizarre thing, you know, or you get somebody yeah. who is, says, I'm a feminist, but is a staunch, comes from a sort of punitive part of the world where basically, you know, if people can't make it, quote unquote, um, or need help, they're somehow weak. Mm -hmm. There's an equivalence between. So you're like, well, you know, how do you, do you not understand that, um, you as a woman would be perceived to be weak by other groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dis these discussions are exactly what you have to have. They're uncomfortable. They make people uneasy. People get angry. Some people shut down, uh, you know, and so on. So I think that's sort of, that's just kind of normal. Mm -hmm. um, it, as long as I've been teaching in this program, when I first came to teach in the journalism program, the grad journalism program in 1997, it was the same then, it's the same now. Pretty yeah. Much. Huh, interesting. Is that not hard to teach? Like having yeah. to manage all the different yeah. backgrounds and personalities? Like, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's a tough class. You know, it's, it's the kind of class where um, you have to, uh, it, it's very hard sometimes to uh, keep your cool, you know, because people will say <laughs> yeah. things that you're, you're like, Oh my God, you know, that's a, what an awful <laughs> thing to have, you know, and mm -hmm. the, you know, we, we've talked about some of the folks who are in the class who, ah, you know, to be charitable, felt that feminism, you know, feminism overall was basically a big con mm -hmm. by women on men. And, you know, it was very, very hard to listen to these people. They, they had, it was helpful in some ways to have them talk because <clears throat> they, they catalyzed a debate about feminism. Where people weren't saying, oh, yeah, feminism, we're all feminists. The people were like, no, 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 I'm not a feminist. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, why not? And if they'd actually thought about it, um, then, okay, you might have a discussion. If they hadn't thought about it, that's something else. You know, that's when you, you have to, it's, let me put it this way, the more experience you've had teaching um, and the more, the, the more you've heard, the easier it is to step back and, and say, okay, let's have a discussion. You know, let's, let's have this, let's have this come out. 
at the same time, you know, one year I was teaching, I was a couple of years after you and I worked together and we've been doing a whole bunch of stuff on feminism and we've been, we were sort of at the middle part of the course. And you remember, this is where a lot of the heated stuff happens. You sort of start off with the, the stuff that people accept and like, yes, okay, there's big media and that's, you know, okay. People are like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, they, they might not love the idea, but they're like, okay, yeah, we see big corporations controlling the media. Okay, fine. But then, you know, you get into the middle of the course and we come into sort of the, um, what used to be called identity politics mm -hmm. stuff, which is really just cultural studies. And um, people get, start to get upset. Well, in, the, in one of the years, I can't remember which one, um, the class was generally progressive. Uh, it was generally more progressive than your group had been in the sense that people were more agreed that yes, you know, there was work to do uh, on in race, class, and gender, there was a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't as much of a fight about it. You know, you didn't have to, <laughs> we didn't, I remember having a discussion in, in your class where we talked about, uh, I was talking about sort of basic human rights, like equal, equal pay for equal work. And I remember one of the guys, um, and it was a dude, saying, uh, well, I don't believe that uh, women really are being paid less on the dollar. I don't, I challenge those numbers. And I was like, oh, gee, you know, okay. <laughs> you know, can we not, you know, can we accept some basic realities? And remember that this was the year that Trump was going to get elected, right? So mm -hmm. there was a, mm, anyway. So we, so we were having this ongoing discussion about feminism in this other class. And uh, at, towards the end of the year, um, somebody said to me, you know, can we, can we, we, the student council needs to talk for a minute about uh, some stuff we need to do and the party we're organizing for the end of the year. I was like, yeah, sure. So they talked a bit about it. And one of the women uh, was asking for volunteers and three women volunteered and no men did. And so I knew the, the, the woman who was asking for volunteers was ill. Um, and she she was having a tough time and, and I don't know if she was telling people, but I knew she was ill mm -hmm. and she would sort of be there and sometimes not there. And she, she, when she was feeling well, she was a great, a great student. When she wasn't feeling well, it's like, like most of us, she looked, she didn't look well. And she was, she was just, it took all her energy just to get into class. Mm -hmm. So I was aware of this and I thought, here I see somebody who was ill, who was taken on a volunteer job and it's a woman. Of course, <laughs> you know, because that seems to be my experience with, you know, if under, with undergrads, if I say, uh, for the un big undergraduate classes, I used to say, I need a note taker for somebody who doesn't have, you know, full vision or, you know, is, needs, to, you know, this is before, really before laptops became a thing in class. And um, it was always a woman or two or three women who would volunteer to be the note taker. And we're talking about classes that were pretty much 50-50. Um, and I never had a man volunteer first. Women always volunteers. And I was like, gee, okay. So, but with the grad class, I was like, okay, I'm irritated. So I said, okay, stop. Look around and think about the discussions we've been having about feminism. Does anything, you know, ring a bell with you about this? And there was a sort of silence and nobody said anything. And I was like, look, not one single man has volunteered to help in this situation, it's a this is this is quintessential, you know, this is quintessential behavior that women volunteer and men don't because this is considered domestic labor. You know, you're trying to organize a party, uh, you're doing sort of the the small jobs that aren't necessarily heroic looking um, to men. 
And of course, then the nicest, sweetest man in the class said, well, I'm happy to help. I was like, yeah, okay, not you, John. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, it's like anybody but you. But actually, that's that was it. Even after I said that, I was like, okay, you know, we're going to take John's help because nobody else is volunteering. So for me, it's, you know, it, there's a huge gap between seeing these, these ideas and actually using them. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, what the core of all of these problems is and how we can get people to understand because I feel like I I think back to like how I was at the beginning of your class and how I just like I I really can like hear out the people who are saying these conservative views um so I wonder like how we can get people to understand if that makes sense yeah for sure absolutely and I think it's a really good question because it is after all what we're after you know we're after fundamentally it is really education and and it doesn't matter to me how it happens like i don't have to be the agent of it i don't have to say oh well i taught them it's like no no no. (laughs) people learn when they're ready to you know and and Mm -hmm. the job of the of learning is a hard one you know it's you're struggling with material that until now um you may have rejected or not even considered as being worth thinking about Mm-hmm. So I think there are two things. One is that we have to have these kinds of classes and they have to be, if they have to be difficult, actually that may produce, um, if it's too toxic, it doesn't work, but you, you need to have discussion. Um, mm-hmm. So the people aren't just saying, yes, yes, you know, I agree. We, we must have blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, do you really think that? Or are you saying it because you don't want to get beaten up, you know, by your peers? Mm-hmm. Um, which you can see is going to happen, you know, and people would come to me and say, well, I can't talk about blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you can, um, but expect that there's going to be a discussion about it and that people are going to push back. Isn't that the idea? You know, if, because in, in Canada, we have the same kind of, of splits and difference, differentiations that we can see in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so your question is, is, really an important one. It's like, so first of all, I would say, yeah, we have to have these classes. And I think we have to have them everywhere. So I think it shouldn't have been, I would hope that, and this is always the issue, is that, you know, people in whatever degree they come from will say, look, there's no time to have this discussion. It's like, yes, there is. We actually have to have it. So in economics, in political science, in anthropology, well, anthropology sort of lives, lives on this territory. But in engineering, uh, in the big in the big sciences and in, in capital big S capital B capital B capital big S science, it's like we have to have these discussions, which means that uh, which and people will say at the time this does nothing for me, mm-hmm. you know, because like look, I'm I'm busy trying to learn biochemistry and you're teaching me cultural studies, uh, get out of my face, you know, like I I don't have time for this. It's like we have to make time for this. And I think we have to make time for this across the curriculum. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think we have to do is be kind uh, about it. And that means, uh, um, and this is a tough one, uh, because people age 23, 24, 25 in a grad program, time is of the essence. Uh, it's cost, it costs a lot of money to go to grad school. People are feeling pressed and they're frightened of not getting work. And so all of that adds up to cranky, tired, 
people who are already being taxed. I mean, they're being asked to do a lot. By taxation here, I mean that they're being asked to do a lot in terms of their energy. You know, you're using up a lot of their energy. Mm-hmm. So in that case, what we need to be able to do is, and this is the hardest thing, is to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. Here is the crux of the issue, you know, where can you see the other person's point of view? Really, can you see it? And if you can't, what's the problem? You don't want to, you're angry with them, you think they're not a person, because a lot of it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. You know, a, lot of, a lot of sort of say the resistance to basic feminist issues is that men will say, well, you've, you've got everything that, like everything you want, we give you. It's like, wait, stop. Is that how you understand power? That it's women asking men for things, asking men essentially, it's a one long honeydew list. Is that the, is that the thing? <laughs> It's like, well, that's not going to be good, you know, or is it, you know, we want equality. This is a power sharing, you know, the world is a power sharing place where it should be mm-hmm. is a whole different way of understanding things. So can you be seen as a legitimate being by the other party? Well, we have to start with ourselves and say, all right, you know, I really don't like what I'm hearing from so-and-so, but let me put myself into where did they grow up? Mm-hmm. And how did they grow up? And what were they told? Even if I don't agree, it's like, okay, so, so in, in your town, what was the most important thing? And then the, as the person begins to explain who they are and you see, and, and you support that, you're like, okay, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I am paying full attention to you. Mm-hmm. Then uh, they start to feel less attacked and they start to feel more understood. And you're like, yes. And you encourage that. You're like, okay, great. So if, so how do we deal with this issue if we wanted to solve this kind of problem? And then they come to the table essentially of the discussion, not as antagonists, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's a long, slow process, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is the key for everything is trying to understand where yeah. people are coming from. Completely. Yeah. And it's so it's the easiest thing to say, and it's so bloody hard to do, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing, you know, when I say kindness, that's what I mean by kindness, you know, which yeah. is that you, you, you extend to the other person the, your best, and your best may not be great, but it's the best you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we tend to beat up on ourselves and say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm so tired, fuck it, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. And uh, it's like, well, if you can come forward with a little bit of understanding, that's Mm -hmm. better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the world, it's all just so complicated. (laughs) That's true. Mm -hmm. I wonder, because I feel like I am thinking about like people in my hometown and people Mm -hmm. who I've talked to and who may listen to this. And I feel like these kinds of conversations are just so like foreign to them. Absolutely. So I wonder if we could like go over some things or some questions that I feel like people would have and just uh, talk about them. Um, Yeah. What have you got? Yeah. So I feel like a big thing that I always hear is people saying like, everyone is just too sensitive nowadays. Like everyone just gets so offended by everything. And like, you can't say anything without people getting offended. Um, So I wonder what, your thoughts are on that and what your response well, would be. Yeah, I mean, people are getting offended um, because they've had enough, right? I mean, the thing is that you can, if you try to keep a group down and you, and you 
you try to prevent them from speaking and from having a voice. Um, they're not going to go away. You know, it's not as though uh, because you're you're keeping them out of the because you're keeping them away from the microphone or something like that that they're going to say, oh well, I guess you're right. Um, we'll just go away. It's like that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're if you're somebody who is say a, a trans, if if you understand your gender to be different from a heteronormative, uh, everybody is straight, quote unquote. Uh, men for women and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you see people who are uh, identify their, in their gender differently. What is the ask if they come to you and say, please call me them? Mm-hmm. Really, it's like, oh, it means, and this is often, you know, people will say, well, I have to remember that. It's like, is that such a hard thing? I mean, it's like remembering somebody's name. It just means that you identify who they would like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we think that name calling, quote unquote, isn't important, it's like, well, what do we tell our children? You know, it's, it's a very basic thing where we seem to tell our children to play nice when they're say five or six years old, but when they get to be 16 or 17, they can go ahead and be racist or, you know, be <laughs> aggressive or violent um, mm-hmm. or misogynist or whatever it is. It's like, actually, no, because the thing is, is that whatever this group wants now, we too wanted something like it um, in our time. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted, you know, the young uh, very often say feel not seen by the people who are in, in control of the system. You know, so a person who is 17 may say, no, oh, the system is against me. So what they need to do, what they need to do, what they might think about doing is looking back to who they were uh, if they're now, say, if you're talking to a 40-year-old individual, how did they feel 23 or 24 years ago when they were 16? Did they feel that they had not been properly seen or addressed? Because we're really talking about modes of address here. You know, if, if somebody says, I identify as a woman, and you're like, what? You're not a woman. It's like, uh, it's not actually for you to say mm-hmm. what the other person is in the same way that it's not for you to call the person, uh, use some hate word against the persons like that's not on if we say we live in a civil society which is what we say then we need to actually behave in a civil manner which means respecting other people's points of view mm-hmm. um and also accepting and this is sort of always the the understanding then is that you can then throw out quote-unquote reality capital r reality so you know we're seeing this right now it's like well that means that i can i can say well i'm not going to wear a mask because I don't believe in COVID. It's like, uh, no, there really are, <laughs> there really is an external reality here. Mm-hmm. So it's a good question and it's a super complex answer, right? I mean, I, <laughs> sorry about that. I, no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, so I think that one of the things you can say to people is, um, if this person were your, it's, it's always like, if you can, you know, it's always about making it sort of real to them. Mm-hmm. If this person were your, beloved friend, would you say to your beloved friend, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely nuts. You know, you, you need to go in, you need to go to an asylum. You know, you need to go into a psychiatric hospital because you believe X, Y, and Z. It's like, would they say that to their best friend where they say it to their, a child of theirs or to a parent of theirs? Mm-hmm. So in other words, to somebody they love, because if they understand the connections between them and the people around them, then you can say, okay, so now imagine that this person here over here who you've never met before 
is one of these people that you actually care about. Mm-hmm. And again, it's this business of getting the person to see another person. Probably the one of the best ways of doing that is to have, uh, I don't know, I'm, well, one of the ways of doing this is to have, again, these kinds of discussions um, in not very, not in massively public situations where people get defensive and angry, but in smaller situations where you can have groups meet um, and talk about these issues. So somebody can say, well, look, I identify as being trans uh, in you know this kind of intersectionality. And somebody says, well, what does that mean? And you're like, okay, here's what it means to me. Mm-hmm. And then you explain. And you, as you begin to explain, you become a person to the people around you. Yeah. So fundamentally, it means taking time to look at the people around us. Up until now, I mean, I grew up in a very white uh, middle-class neighborhood in Toronto. Nobody uh, didn't look like us. And was, everybody looked like us, sounded like us. Um, some people had come more recently from Britain uh, or from the UK in general. Uh, but that's mostly, it was a, in other words, it was a very homogeneous uh, population. Mm-hmm. As soon as, and of course, the population was convinced that it was uh, right thinking. You know, of course it was right thinking. Everybody agreed. Right? Mm-hmm. But then in, I don't know, I was, in, I was eight, I guess, or so years old. And two uh, children, an, an African doctor, a, that is a doctor from Africa. I don't remember where, one of the countries in Africa, um, who was obviously in the middle class as well, came to live in the neighborhood uh, for a year. He was on a sabbatical, I think, uh, exchange. And he brought with him his two daughters. And they were not uh, sort of light-skinned uh, people of color. They were African. And uh, the, the school erupted. So there were two African-American or African, well, they were African. There were two African children um, in this, in this all, otherwise all-white school with no Asian people. There were no Asian people in the community at all yet. There was an enormous amount of, of name-calling uh, this is the first time in my life I heard the N-word used, and I heard it used for months. The first term of school, basically, the only person who was who could be relied on not to yell at the girls, these two girls, because they were both young girls, were the teachers in the in the classes. Nobody else, everybody else had to get their head straight. They had they'd never seen this before. They're like, mm-hmm. what the heck is this? And so everybody fell back on this incipient racism. Well, it's just like, there it was. And mm-hmm. we, of course, would have all said, oh, we're not racist. Yeah. So, so you have to have diversity mm-hmm. if you're going to have these conversations and you have to have the people who are, and the, of course you can't say the people who are, who are visible or who identify as being diverse. Mm-hmm. Now your job is to explain to us uh, why you're a legitimate human being. That's mm-hmm. not the point. Yeah. Your job is to figure out what is wrong with your head that this person is not perceived to be a legitimate human being? <laughs> you know, it's on you. It was on us to figure out why we're so screwed up. Yeah. Why, if we were like white liberals in the middle of the 60s, did these two black girls present such a problem for mm-hmm. us? Why were we so afraid? What was yeah. going on? Why are, like, why are people so afraid? I think because they've never met this kind of difference before. This mm-hmm. is the first time. And it's, it, is, it is literally outside of their knowledge. Mm-hmm. And they are afraid that it's going to tear their world apart. 
I mean, I think it's a very, I think it's a deep, you know, this is a deep kind of reflexive fear, which produces a rage against mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And then when you see that, it's so ugly that you say, uh, that's not me. Um, you know, I didn't do that. My culture made me do it or, or something, you know, but, or they deserved it. You know, it's any of the sort of those victim blaming things where you say to the person, you know, you made me this, you know, I wasn't racist. Be <laughs> I wasn't racist before you came along. It's like, oh, good to know. <laughs> good to know that while everybody was white and looked exactly the same, we weren't racist, <laughs> you know, perfect. So yeah. that means that, you know, you, 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 you become defensive. You're like, well, is the problem isn't me. And it's very, very hard to have people admit that actually they've got to change the way they think. Mm -hmm. And so they'd stiffen up. You know, it's a lot easier to just to stiffen up and defend rather than saying, relaxing and saying, genuinely, how does this person threaten me? Mm -hmm. Because that is, the, that is the issue. And so you get, my grandfather used to talk about, you know, those immigrants. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And I used to go to my mother and say, you know, Grandpa said, and she was like, oh, you know, your grandfather is old. <laughs> you know, she was like, don't get into it. You know, like he's, you know, he, he doesn't know what he's saying. He's like, well, he knew what he was saying, mm -hmm. um, but he didn't question it. So this is just the way it had been. And as far as, so basically it's a fundamental in-group versus out-group. Mm -hmm. And the in-group has this, I think one of the first protections the in-group has is to stiffen up, uh, build walls, and keep everybody else out. And then they include everybody. They're like, see, because it isn't just one thing they're afraid of. No, it's not just a trans person they're afraid of. They're afraid of people who are, they'll say, you know, I'm an intersectional feminist. You're like, I don't even know what that means. And you're like, well, it means I'm, you know, I'm, I'm facing both a class issue and a race issue. And I also want uh, equality for women. They're like, okay, choose one of these things, you know, cause you're just complaining way too much. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's because there's a lot to complain about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I feel like I hear a lot of. It's people saying, oh, everyone is just complaining about everything instead of. Yeah, like, and it's, I think it's sucking it's things worth, up, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile saying to them, um, well, you know, do you think it's valid? And it's again to go back to things that we may now have solved, uh, or not so much solved as, because we probably haven't solved them, but we, we've had the debates for decades, right? So mm -hmm. you can say, well, is it a woman's right uh, to choose whether or not she controls her body? Mm -hmm. You know, that is, does, does a woman control her body? Does she have the right to abortion? Like, well, I don't like abortions. Like, we're not asking you whether you like it. We're asking whether or not you believe that women should have the right to choose, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. And if they say no to that, you're like, okay, let's back up. You know, do women have the right to say no to their husbands beating them? And if they say, yes, they have the right to say no to that. It's like, okay, well, there was a time when they didn't. Mm -hmm. Do women have the right to vote? And they're like, yes, of course, women, of course women have the right to vote. It's like, well, if women have the right to vote, why wouldn't women have the right to make uh, the same money for the same work? Okay, so you've got to back up until you find something that they, they're like, oh, yes, of course, I believe that. You know, mm -hmm. Well, of course, they wouldn't say that. Okay. And then you start, then you move forward to your, you, you hit the sticking point, right? But you can see where we're talking about long, difficult discussions where sometimes the, the, I, I just, I'm, I'm just at the moment thinking about a student of mine who's a very tall young man um, and he's a real sweetheart. Um, 
and he he's he's visible minority or he's a person of color but it's not clear exactly what his eth is it's like well exactly where does he come from mm -hmm. and he's from a whole combination really he's from a whole combination of sort of middle eastern backgrounds that are all layered over but he was doing it he and a friend of his were doing a story out at one of the reservations uh nearby and he was asking they went to so they talked to people on in the there was a, a demonstration or there was a uh, an occupation of one of the logging you know the territories to be logged so they were there and they talked to the folks involved they talked to the indigenous people involved and then they went into the town which is of course largely white um to ask to interview people there and just the way he asked people like because i he gave me the story so I could listen to it. And just the way he asked people was so pleasant and so, um, I don't know, just likable that I, the people answered his questions mm -hmm. without any rancor. They didn't, they didn't get angry about it. So sometimes having the person who they are afraid of uh, be unexpectedly friendly and affable it was a shock, I think. And you could hear people sort of saying, they were like, oh my God, here comes this tall young guy, you know, a person of color, they've probably never seen anybody like this in their lives. Okay, that's not their fault. You know, it's not, it's not their fault that they're, you know, born and have lived in essentially what is a protected community. Mm -hmm. you know, because it's protected because it's not diverse is what I mean by protected in the sense that it's, it's homogeneous, which means they haven't had to question their beliefs, any of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so here comes this young man and he's, polite and friendly and warm and thanks people for their questions and answers. And they were like, you could hear them switching from ready to be resentful and angry to actually answering the questions. I was most impressed. Yeah. And it was entirely because of his presentation of self, basically. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean, what I'm not saying here is that the job of the person who is, uh, you know, in in a non-white in a non-homogeneous community, to somehow uh, lay out the red carpet for the poor, uh, you know, misbegotten white people who have you know had such a rough time of it. Boo hoo hoo! It's like no, 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 not at all. By the same, as I say, by the same token, you can't. <laughs> if I'm if I'm in a class teaching and somebody says, you know, as a trans person, I da da da, I cannot say to that person later on, you know. Uh, you know, hey, Jody, uh, since you're a trans person, what do you make of this? It's like, you can't do that. It's like, no, you, you, you can wait, you can ask, you can say, you know, does anybody, does anybody from a different point of view have anything to say about this? No? Okay, we'll go on. Mm -hmm. You can open the way for a discussion, but you can't ask the people who basically, <laughs> we, we're, who are essentially in the minority to explain themselves to the majority so the majority likes it. Yeah. No, that's not the joke. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely like the expectation a lot of the times. Of course, yeah, because because it's sort of like I don't know if you have. Mm, it sort of depends on on you know how you grew up, but in the families in the families that I that I was when I was a child, the father was the authority figure, and the 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 father was often not there. They were often basically absent. You know, the the mothers did all the work. I mean, they just, they, they kept everything running. They really did. And then the father would sort of appear, you know, at six or seven o'clock at night uh, for a brief period of time and be exhausted and 
people would be told, you know, we were told stop running around, you know, stop making noise and so on. And maybe your father would come and say something to you, but maybe they would go have to go and work or they would have a drink and your job was to shut up and go away, basically. Mm -hmm. So that meant that the fathers were very often in my generation, um, in the world that I grew up in anyway, the fathers were remote authority of figures. And when you needed something, you know, as you were, when you were a teen, you had to go and negotiate, like you wanted to borrow the car, you know, that kind of thing, which is a typical sort of middle-class, <laughs> white, <laughs> white middle-class issues. Like, oh, can I borrow the car, dad? You know, and the father would say, well, I don't know, son. I mean, has you done this? And have you done that? And you know, you'd have to answer essentially to the, this is literally what the patriarchy is. You know, that mm-hmm. is the patriarchy. Okay. So for me, it's the same thing. A person of color, their job, is not to clarify for the white patriarchy exactly what position they'd like to they'd like to withhold they like to hold. If the white patriarchy will not bend, it will break, and it will deserve to break. Um, and it it must essentially open up its hands and deal, negotiate. And if it doesn't open up its hands and deal and negotiate, well, it's going to lose. Mm-hmm. It's just going to take longer and there's going to be more blood on the floor, you know, Mm -hmm. because people are going to get hurt and either, you know, I hope they're not going to get hurt physically, but they're going to get hurt. People are, the the thing I think that people don't realize when they say, well, I'm tired of hearing blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're hurting people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's hurting somebody. If you say you can't be a trans individual, it's like you're hurting that person's identity. Yeah. And this is the same thing. You know, we, we don't tell five and six year old kids um, if they say, Oh, you know, you're funny. You've got, um, you've only got one eye, you know, it's like, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I'm just thinking about things that like when, when I was a kid, you know, the kind of things that sort of people made fun of, man, it was brutal. You know, the, the, we, we talk about bullying now. It's like, it's good. We're talking about bullying because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, bullying was a thing. I mean, if you were small, you got beaten up. And if you were, you, you had red hair, you got beaten up and uh, blah, you know, and so on. And uh, if you looked funny or, you know, you had, like, there was a, girl in one of my classes who had uneven legs. Um, and these are the kinds of things which now you don't see as much because the health, because the, the world of I say healthcare is just so much better. But she had uh, one foot, which essentially which was you know on the ground and had a normal shoe, another foot which had to be built up, right? Well, I don't even remember if she had a name because as far as everybody was concerned, this girl was broken. She was not a human being. Mm-hmm. And she was, people, people threw things at her, people made fun of her. I don't remember her having a friend. I don't know if she ever actually had a friend. I, you know, at the point that I got to be old enough to look back and think, oh my God, you know, what did we do to this, this poor kid? Um, it was too late. You know, she was gone and I have no idea what happened to her. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think what we have to say to people is you're going to hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. going to hurt. And it may be, you don't know who you're hurting. Maybe you are hurting your friend. Maybe they mm-hmm. can't tell you. Maybe they're afraid to tell you because they don't want to be hurt. And they know just how rigid and unyielding this way of thinking is. Mm-hmm. And so why would they reveal themselves? You know, and why would somebody who is a, per- why would a person of color who's got intersectional um, things that they're struggling with, or just trying to figure out, they may not be struggling with them, but just learning about, you know, I'm just figuring out, it's like, oh, I'm just learning how to be, you know, just becoming you know, like a, like a normal, 
like a normal quote unquote human being, which is which is there isn't a thing, but basically <laughs> like a like a, a a being which is growing and learning how to identify themselves and so on. That why would and so you can say to people who are like, well, I'm tired of this. Is like, well, how do you know there aren't people around you really close to you who would identify this way if they knew you would accept it? Yeah, I know you know all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I'm starting to see it more, yeah. more so than before because I sure. had no idea back in your class. But um, none of us did, right? I mean, we all. Yeah. The thing is that it's not as though people are just born with this. Mm-hmm. You know? we all come from groups, and the group tells you how to behave. Yeah, and that's it. When you start to shift groups, I think this is the, really the deal: is that some people are lucky and they're able to to shift groups, which is difficult. But also, some I mean, so, as you know, some people just love it. You know, they they because shifting groups means you understand you're oh now I'm an outsider. You know, if you've been so used to being an insider, now you're an outsider. Mm-hmm. Or and then you come back and you're like, wait a second, wait a second. Now I see the inside different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the group that I grew up in was very much like like this is how things are and even if you are outside of that kind of normal like you should try to fit in with that normal right rather than question absolutely yeah because basically the the idea is that the group wants to have as little trouble as possible Mm -hmm. you know they want to run their own affairs and you want to have as much peace quote unquote for want of a better word or uh, agreement, I guess is, I guess, yeah, because it may not be peace, but agreement anyway, in mm-hmm. consensus inside, which means that there will be honorary group members. Mm-hmm. So it may be that you and your family were allowed to be honorary members of this group, even though you didn't really quote unquote belong inside the group. So they would say, look, when we talk about us, we mean you too, even though you're not really us. And so then <laughs> so you funny. exist in this uh, border zone right? Where you're not part of this group, but you're not part of the outside world because you're known to be um, a friendly enemy, essentially, or a friendly outsider. Let's put it that way. Yeah. That's so funny. That's like, I've literally had people tell me that growing up. Right. Like, oh, sure. Caitlin, like, I didn't think of you as like, not as like, as Asian, yeah, like exactly. you're basically like white, like, but Thanks. back then, yeah, back I then think- it was like, I thought it was a good thing. Because I think my family like thought of it that way, like tried to blend in, like rather than if someone says something racist, like kind of just like laugh it off or whatever, don't point it out, which now I feel like people are more so like definitely leaning towards pointing things out. And that's why people are saying, oh, everyone's being offended. And everyone's being offended because they're, they're finally, it's not that things have changed. Is that they haven't changed. <laughs> well, of course, what they ask is, is as you say, um, is agreement inside the group. And mm-hmm. it, is, it is paramount um, that if the group is going to run and the power structure inside the group is going to run, it must bend outsiders to its will or expunge them, right? So if you had made trouble, I mean, the reason that I'm I completely get that, you know, you would have been like I, you know, any number of years old and going, oh, I'm, a, I'm an honorary white person. Well, I'm relieved because I see what happens to outsiders and it's not pretty because mm-hmm. the group is going to win, right? And it's going to use its power in the same way that the patriarchy is going to win. The thing is, it's going to win in the short term. In the long term, it's stupid, right? Mm-hmm. It's narrow-minded and rigid and rigidity doesn't last. 
right. because sooner or later it goes down. So we can say, if we look at, uh, you know, as, a, as an excellent example, I've been, I'm thinking of right now is the um, same sex marriage or whatever you want to call it, a, a marriage between two people, you know, two, two consenting partners, doesn't really matter what they are, who they are, what, who doesn't matter to me. It's like, I don't care. Um, so, but let's say 20, 30 years ago, people have been like, no way, you know, two, and then you would have heard a bunch of ugly words for uh, what a, a gay man or woman might be, uh, hooking up and having a family, uh, why they're up, and this is what I heard, I remember hearing this in the 80s, um, you know, and that was often came from the churches, ironically, uh, oh, you know, queer men shouldn't be allowed to teach because they're all pedophiles. It's like, actually, no, it wasn't the queer men who were pedophiles. It was the Catholic, it was the Catholic <laughs> yeah. priests who were pedophiles, right? Yeah. And they're still saying no to that. It's like, actually, no. you know, so I was watching some, I was following a story here in London where uh, they, they're going to have to sell land. I'm like, sell it all. It's, mm -hmm. it's all bankrupt. You know, all of this hallowed ground, there isn't such a thing. You know, for all the good work that was done, there were crimes committed here, mm -hmm. regular, ongoing crimes, decade after decade. That's not some little, oh, whoops, <laughs> you know, that's systemic crime. Mm -hmm. And it was, not only was it committed, but it was, it was blessed by the group, essentially, you know, it was, yeah. it was allowed. Okay, so, so if we can look back at, and see, well, 30 years ago, you know, did you think that you would ever see the day when same-sex marriage would be legit. People were like, no, I never saw it. I never expected it to come. It's like, the day will come when we will stop looking at people and saying, first off, um, hey, you're a woman. Do you have a penis? It's like, stop it. Stop it. Mm -hmm. you know, stop being stupid. That's a five-year-old. That's a question a five-year-old would ask. Mm -hmm. Instead, you say to the person, what are your values? Yeah. How hard is that? Mm -hmm. Honest to God. Well, it's tough. It turns, it turns <laughs> yeah. out it's very hard, right? <laughs> yeah. So people are feeling that everyone is offended, but right. the people, people are just wanting to be heard and be themselves and be pretty much acknowledged. Yes. And, and the difference is that they're, this time they're not shutting up about it. Yeah. And that's why it seems like everyone's getting offended. It's just, they're just vocalizing what's always been. Right, and, and what you see is that when one group begins to have success with that, mm -hmm. and they see, an, and another group looks at it and says, but wait a minute, you know, they're having success. So why don't we give it a try? Mm -hmm. But the thing about this is that there's, it's no fast process, you know, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the work you're doing now is crucial um, because you're doing it, right? Because you are, you know very well what the what the group that essentially raised you thinks. I don't mean your family, you know, but I mean the group that essentially um, said you can be an honorary white white person with us. Okay, so you knew how you know how they think, which means that you have an inside line as to all right, how can how might that change? Mm -hmm. Understanding that maybe ten, more likely twenty years from now, we might actually see some change, unless mm -hmm. it's rapid and violent and by violent i mean actually rapid for me means violent like i think the black yeah. lives matter protests weren't particularly violent they were rapid and that freaks everybody out it's like yeah well you have to have that if it's just been too long no forget it. you know i i grew up in an era in an era of civil rights if you ask again if you said to people in uh, in your community 
well, do you think that uh, people of color should have the right to vote? They'd be like, well, yeah, of course they should have the right to vote. It's like, well, why, how come? They'd be like, well, because they're citizens. It's like, okay, fine. That's fine. So how about if we deal with people as citizens first and we'll deal with their, their color second? Mm-hmm. And they'll always say to you, it's like, well, they're the ones who are telling me, you know, how I can talk about them and not. It's like, yeah, that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. How about if we talked about your mother in a certain way? <laughs> you know, would you be okay with that? You know, so <laughs> there's always people have to reflect on how they're potentially hurting other people and they are hurting other people. And, mm-hmm. and then the lifting of these for, for most of the time for people to, if you want people to be quiet and, and um, be agreeable, then you negotiate with people. You go to the bargaining table. That's what we're supposed to be. Is like, is this a democracy? Do well, of course, you know, I don't think it is, but <laughs> you know, is this, um, do we believe in discussion and negotiation rather than fighting fist fights in the streets? Like, how do we solve problems? Using the law courts, you know, using discussion. We train children not to fight, but to talk. Use your words, we say. Same thing now. We need to practice what we're teaching kids. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, and people will always say, oh, but it's different. It's like, no, it's not different. <laughs> yeah. You can say, well, how? You know, how is this different? This is bad behavior. And now it's in the hands of, say, a 30 or 40 year old instead of a five year old. What's the difference? Mm-hmm. They've got more money. Um, they presumably have access to legal enough. If they have access to enough money, they can uh, line the legal system up to fire at the people they don't like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah it's frustrating. Yeah. Hey, it's hard. This mm-hmm. is hard. Very hard. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm in such a weird position because it's like the people who I grew up with, who like would say I'm like an honorary white person. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I get how they got to be how they are. Yeah. And like, I don't think that any of like my friends and people who I grew up with, like had any bad intentions. No, exactly. But yeah. I think it just takes like a bit of effort to, to hear other people out and to like expose yourself to people who don't just look like you. That's perfectly said though. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, 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 it takes, it doesn't take that much effort. You know, it just takes a little, little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Especially um, nowadays, like with the internet, you can find out, like you can hear from anybody in two seconds, but you can't necessarily I mean, want to put. Well, to unfortunately, as we both know, you know, what comes along with the internet and with those connections, which is, which can be really so good mm-hmm. is this absolutely toxic comment culture. I mean, as if I, if I had my way, Twitter would stop existing tomorrow. Uh, I'd unplug most of the social media that I see around because it's, because the the damage is so is so great and i would stop all comments i mean until people basically people can behave better it's like if people think they can get into a comment section in youtube or wherever it is and start being racist misogynist assholes it's like uh no you know i'm not no we're not doing that mm-hmm. you can't if you're hiding behind behind anonymity it means okay so no more anonymous posting yeah you know? And if you're afraid to post because you think people will dox you and they'll release your, your real address online, it's like that would make you think twice about what you say. Yeah. So I, for me, we, we are facing this terribly toxic, just, ugh, you know, it's just such, it's just a sewage. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah. I think, yeah. So it's, it's in the end, 
the best thing to do is to sit down with people. Yeah, I agree. But they have, everybody has to be willing to, to do that. And again, you know, I think that the white community, the straight white community, that is what is, what considers itself to be the center of the culture, straight, white, middle-class, somewhat educated. Um, if that group uh, basically feels threatened and then it may try to say, okay, well, ease my mind, you know, convince me that you're not coming for my power. It's like, actually, no, we are. <laughs> yeah, we, we really are. It's like, no, we want power sharing. <laughs> you know, it's like, this has to happen. In the case of the sort of what the, you know, we are the world uh, white hegemonic uh, ideals or it's like, yeah, that can go, you know, sure. There's lots of good ideas um, that came out of that worldview. Education is a good idea. Yes. You know, medical science, good idea. Check, you know, um, but a lot of other things, no, mm -hmm. they got to go. Yeah. I wonder how you would respond to people who, um, who say like, well, we have had a black president, like how could white supremacy exist? Or like you look at entertainment, like there's so many black people, like, um, or that there's like black entertainment television, like why is that allowed? But white entertainment television is not allowed. Right. Um, I wonder what your response sure. would be to people. Well, the, the, uh, Existence of, of BET and, and similar things like it the, is the easiest answer, which is that um, it's that old, uh, not really a joke, but, you know, the child goes to the grandmother and says, you know, how come we have Mother's Day and Father's Day, but we don't have Children's Day? And the grandparent says, every day is Children's Day. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason that we have BET is that every channel is white channel. And the reason that, that uh, people will say, well, African-Americans, uh, you know, have only given us jazz and hip hop and rap. You know? um, it's like, do you think that these art forms might have arrived because these people have no other way to express themselves in the culture? It has to be illegitimate, essentially, that it has to be made as, the, as they would say, for us, by us. Um, so that, you know, is there something here that does this indicate that there's a problem? Because if we don't know, uh, say people of color in Canada, because they're worker, they're workers next to us, they're our friends and they're people that we spend time with all the time, then they're going to be, then we can point to them on, in the entertainment world, or as you say, uh, or, you know, at the very high levels of government and say, aha, see, uh, there's a, you know, there's, there a black president and there's no doubt about it. Having a black president was very important. At the same time, this was not Jesse Jackson. You know, this was not a president who was a charismatic. This is a president who was a, a technocrat and uh, whether white people like to hear it or not is uh not that dark of an African-American. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, mm. so in Canada, if we think we're so advanced, why is it that we haven't had one single woman as the prime minister, except for Kim Campbell for eight months? And that was sort of an accident because she kind of wound up in the role. And then she became the sort of, everybody, they're like, aha, you know, this is why, this is why you don't let people, you don't let women become uh, prime ministers because they, they screw things up and you lose the party. Uh -huh. 
So if we're doing so well, um, why isn't the world around us more diverse? Why have there become, why are there pockets essentially of people? It's like, well, we know the answer to that. You know, it's that they're afraid. And we know looking at uh, Asian hate crimes, say in the last year uh, because of COVID, that people will say um, in the most insane kind, I mean, this is true insanity, right? To have somebody who says to any visible Asian person, you brought COVID to us. So maybe you're dealing, you're talking to a Korean person, <laughs> you know, who is not even Korean, you know, of Korean descent, a Canadian um, who might be 20 years old born in Canada, raised in Canada, um, might even be the second or third generation Canadian, but of Korean descent. Mm -hmm. And you say to them, you brought COVID. It's just, it's ignorance, but it's anger too. Mm -hmm. So what we need to say to people who say, yeah, but you know, why are they making such a fuss? It's like, it has to do with, the real answer is it has to do with whether or not people feel included on a day-to-day -day basis where they are making decisions in the community all the time so that they are accepted as part of the community. So you don't say, well, and this is our queer member of the community and this is our trans member of the community. Oh, and here's an Asian member of the community who behaves like a white person, thank you very much. And here's this queer person <laughs> who mentions, you know, that they are queer every now and then, but they basically otherwise sound like a straight person. That's what we wanna have. Mm -hmm. So the issue really is, is that diversity in say the media is less of a problem if you've got diversity at home, mm -hmm. but we don't. What we have at home is consensus agreement that white culture runs the show and that white masculine culture, white wealthy masculine culture runs the show. And the people who are in at the bottom levels of it, who can often be the most mm, enraged about it or angry about it, most want in. Right. So you'll get, say, a young man who's 22 or 23, who may be the most uh, vociferous, you know, the most uh, angry um, arbiter for this worldview of, you know, white power, because they don't have it. They love to be that, but they don't have it. Mm -hmm. And maybe because they don't have it, they get angry at other, all kinds of other people. But in reality, you know, the, the representation issues, the people, you know, the issue of, say, having people... Mm, uh, win at award shows and things like that. It's like my feeling is, yeah, the, what that shows us is that we don't actually have intermixed communities where we live. If we had diversity around us, we wouldn't worry about seeing diversity on the screen. Part of the understanding has to be that <laughs> white people have to see that other people in the world actually exist. Mm -hmm. it, 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 <laughs> yeah. So what <laughs> so we need is like, true integration rather than right. just like we're all separated and then you it's mainly white is like the main thing but then we have like examples of that's right other people all around like that's not what we need is just the true integration of everything that's right yeah generally the the fear i think that you see that people say well yeah but look at this you know here see they have their own network it's like okay to me that is an indicator of how broken things are not how things are working. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the opposite, basically, because it means that we are seriously, um, you can see just how bad it is when people have to get into essentially their own little box and say, well, at least we have this. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Really? Is that how you want? Because fundamentally, people somehow think that they're never going to be treated this way. They're always going to be the upper hand. It's like, what if you weren't the upper hand? 
I mean, I suppose, you know, you can, I, I'm not fond of this I, because it doesn't usually work. But if you say to people, you know, the, the tide is going to turn and uh, there, there may come the day when, you know, you're in the minority. Well, that's the fear. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I feel like it's all just <laughs> complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. And it's this is why it's slow. I have a I have a, a dear friend who's a prophet, Kings, mm-hmm. and he uh, is the he, he's in the disability, he is the second in command, basically, I think, in the disability studies program at King's. And he's a very funny guy, very bright guy. And he brings people in uh, when he's teaching to talk about all different kinds of otherness. The, the, the people who have been groups that have been othered essentially by the central core of the culture. And so um, he, had, he had a guy come in who led the legal challenge for same-sex marriage, basically. And they won, you know, in a series of court, over the course of 10 years, basically, they won a series of court battles. And then they, you know, began to push policy through parliament and then it went and they, okay. So they're like, okay, this is legal now. And because again, you know, it's those kinds of things where you have to think about, you know, when I was, when I was a kid and really well into my, whew, bloody hell, it must've been, I was well into my twenties, thirties. I can't even remember. Um, sodomy was a crime. You could actually be put in prison. If, I mean, it didn't happen or it wasn't supposed to happen, but um, it was still on the books as a crime. It's like, okay, so this whole, this whole community's way of being is criminal. Wow. So, you know, it's that kind of thing, which we sort of people take for granted. Anyway, so he was having, so he had this guy come in and give a presentation. And he basically talked about what it looked like to go from, uh, people saying heteronormative life is the only life. In fact, there isn't, there isn't any other norm, like that's normal. And the Bible says no to this and all the books of power say no, the law courts and the, okay. And they went from that to winning essentially these cases and getting policy for uh, same-sex marriage. So he came in and basically told this narrative. And one of the students, one of the first year students came up to him afterwards and said, so, you know, what are you going to do now? I mean, like your job is done. And so this guy had been involved in 20 years of legal struggles. <laughs> and so the guy said, well, let's see, uh, for the next 10 years, we're going to deal with the people who want to take us down and we'll bring uh, appellate challenges to us in court. And we will spend the next 10 years fighting them off and rewinning cases that we have won this first time. And then the 20 years after that, we will spend ensuring that nobody who comes after us will have to fight this battle ever again. So the next 20 years of his life are planned out. And that I think is what systemic change looks like. It's a long and slow and it's bloody awful, right? In the sense that you have to play the long game. Mm-hmm. So that means that everybody has got to be in on the thing. Education has got to be in, law has got to be in for it. The, the community has got to be behind it. The schools has to be behind it. Curricular changes have to be behind it. Every single thing has got to line up. And eventually it does. You know, and then people say, why was this a problem? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, when do you think we'll get there? <laughs> I, I think it'll take, I, well, in the case of, I don't know, I think for some things sooner rather than later, um, I think the, the less uh, identifiably dangerous the thing is, the more quickly it'll be resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be a willingness to change. Yeah. You yeah, can't. I feel you. Yeah, you can't go. And I, I think this is really important because I think the work, as I say, the work, I think the work you're doing is really important, but at the same time, it's a lot. 
And so the job is not, does not fall on one, you know, it does not fall on Caitlin's shoulders mm -hmm. to fix this in any community, no matter how small, uh, if you decide to do it, and this is this is your thing. Like obviously, with this guy who was who was uh, fighting for same-sex marriage, this became his life. Mm -hmm. you know, okay, but for most of us, we probably don't have the. I don't know. We may not have the interest, or we may we may get burned out on it. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can be tiring. Exhausting. Yeah. Never underestimate how exhausting this is because you're mm -hmm. you're working to change people's minds. Yeah. And in some ways, there's nothing harder. Yeah. I hope like at least like with the people that I talk to, it can at least be a start for people to get exposure to people who they normally wouldn't talk to. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, never underestimate um, the power of a one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. because yeah. that too can be viral. So, so it's really important. I mean, you have done a lot of thinking about this and you are not the same person that I taught five years ago. <laughs> no, no, definitely no. not. <laughs> but you did that work, right? So just the way you did the work, my belief is that other people can be enticed into doing it as well. Mm -hmm. you know, or they can be, they can be, you can ask them basically, would you consider this? You know, mm -hmm. Would you consider that? Knowing that it's tiring for them, exhausting for you, because you're really, the, the thing is that essentially for you, it's where you live. Mm -hmm. yeah. unless, you, unless you want to go back to passing. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Okay. I'm not saying it's not for me to say. It's not for any white person to tell any, well, it's not for any person to tell anybody else how to live, I don't think. Mm -hmm. but it's certainly not for any white person to say to a person of color, Oh, you should have been doing that. It was like, what? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. um, for people who are listening to this, um, what is the key thing that you would want them to take away? The key thing is to look at people around you who are not like you and imagine that they are human beings and that they deserve the kind of respect that you want for yourself and your children. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good answer. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> it's so bloody hard. Yeah. <laughs> but if they but, just do that once, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really is what it comes down to. Like, I feel like everything in our conversation was complicated and like we could go on for, for a mm -hmm. long time about all of it. But yeah, that is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Just that yeah. empathy is so key that's, that's it mm -hmm. yeah yeah but as you know hard yeah totally and especially when you're as we are now in a situation where people are you know exhausted depleted frightened uh pressed to the max you know have had deaths in the family uh mm -hmm. or friends um this is a very hard time to ask for this kind of empathy as you say it actually is the time that we must show it more than any other time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I just have two last questions that I ask sure. everybody, but is there anything that you wanted to add or talk about before I ask those two? Um, no, I think, I, I think what, I think what does go unseen is the kind of load that 
is on a person who is visible every day. Um, I think we just sort of use the word visible now to talk about minorities. And we sort of, if you're a white person, you're just like, well, they're a visible minority uh, as if somehow this is, it's normalized. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people. So now I'm talking to people like me who are, you know, white, uh, born into, you know, Caucasian family lines, um, basically, which may be, yeah, let's leave it at that. And uh, that remember that the people around you who are visible never get to step out of that. Um, mm -hmm. And so that means that there is a, an exhaustion and tiredness that if you feel exhausted, like it is a people like me, if you're white and you feel exhausted and tired on a daily basis, look around the people at the people that, you know, that, you're, that are near you and think about a person who is visible, that they be more exhausted and tired than you are mm -hmm. because they have to live and they also are always in danger of being labeled or called out um, just because they look different or sound different or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's a good thing to think about. But your two last questions. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay, so the <laughs> podcast is called Learn with Lels. Um, basically, just because I feel like everyone should just keep learning all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first one is, what is something you've been learning lately? Okay. Well, uh, more. I've been learning. I think more how how much um, I've inherited that I didn't know. Uh, and by that, I mean, whether it's sort of fundamental misogyny or sort of what I consider to be bargain basement racism, that uh, as I've seen things happen uh, politically in the last year, um, I think particularly in regards to Black Lives Matter, but also in regards to my own, uh, basically, my own raising, my, my own culture, enculturation as a child, that uh, things were grooved in to my brain that are still not, I still haven't um, been able to, they, I still haven't disconnected them. You know, I still have to go in there and do work. There's work to be done. Um, and I see myself come up with thoughts and ideally I don't say these things out loud, but I think, that's homophobic or that's racist, fundamentally that's racist or it's misogynist in one way or another. And I think, okay, why am I still having these thoughts? And it's because I haven't, well, it may be because I didn't realize I had them until I sort of heard them ringing in my head. And I think, whew, listen to that, you know, geez, that's bad news. So I think what I've been learning is just how deep the training goes and it's strong, it's dangerous and it's strong. Um, and the homophobia that I grew up with was just so entrenched. It was just so completely, it was just understood. Like this was just it um, from a very young age. I mean, you know, when I'm talking, I'm thinking again about schoolyards. So I think what I've been doing in the last year is looking back at myself and saying, whew, man, uh, got work to do. Yeah, it's lifelong processes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the last question is, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? Kindness. Kindness. I, I think I didn't understand just how crucial this was 
until I began to teach. And so that's 30 years ago now. When I started teaching, I realized, okay, wait, the most important thing we can do here is, is um, indicate to people that, uh, that we see their fear and we see their upset and we see they're tangled up in a bunch of issues. And so can they, can they bring those things along? I'm going to step clear of them, but bring those things along, but also consider these um, ideas and thoughts we're having. And really that's the same for everybody that you deal with. Everybody who's angry, whether angry or happy, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you can approach the world in this sort of more open way and with kindness, it's going to go better than any other way we know. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't mean that you don't get hurt. And it doesn't mean you're not vulnerable. Of course you are. But you're going to get hurt anyway. Going to get hurt anyway. So might as well have a good kind energy about what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, that's what you're all about. I mean, right? You, you emailed me and I was like, well, what's Caitlin been up to? And I looked you up and I was like, this is amazing. You know, Thank you're doing you. all kinds of stuff. <laughs> No, it's true. You're doing all kinds of stuff that five years ago, I don't think you would have thought of doing. You know? No, oh, look not. at this, you know? And it's like, this is, that's what, it, that's what kindness looks like. You know, mm-hmm. you're extending yourself and you're opening the doors to discussion. And it's like, isn't that wonderful? I mean, you know, and yeah, it's great. 